Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, we're recording this here and we're ready to talk about the Big Ten Championship game. Not really going to talk much about the rest of Championship Week because in all honesty, who cared about a lot of those games? It was all just kind of filler in comparison to the Big Ten title game and all the other stuff we got to talk about, including every single Big Ten Bowl matchup aside from the big one, the Ohio State Sugar Bowl against Clemson in the college football playoff semifinals, which we will be talking about in a separate episode coming out soon, breaking down the Buckeyes matchup and their path to a title. Uh, But before we do that, I just wanted to touch on a little bit of news here in college football. Uh, Today we found out, sadly this morning, that uh, Ty Jordan, the Pac-12 Offensive Player Rookie of the Year, or Freshman of the Year, out of Utah, the running back has passed away. So uh, our thoughts and prayers are with his family, his teammates, his friends, uh, the University of Utah community, and all those effective. Just a truly tragic story. But uh, beyond that, we've got a show to do today. And here with me to break it all down is Reed Murray. Uh, how are you doing today, Reed? Uh, Pat, I'm doing well. Um, if For all the YouTube viewers, if you can see, I've got a new microphone in front of me. Uh, Santa Claus has been nice to me <laughs> this holiday season. And I now have this really high quality mic that I just love. Um, in addition, Patrick Feltz himself has gifted me this uh, t-shirt, Sad Dog, as it's called, uh, from Homefield Apparel. Make sure you check them out. We're not sponsored anyway, but Patrick uh, gave me a ton of Homefield Apparel gear. And speaking of Homefield Apparel, a few weeks ago, you might remember on this show uh, a bet that we made. If there was a safety in the Michigan State Ohio State game, I was to be gifted a Michigan State shirt because uh, I predicted that. And Pat said, well, that's a that's an oddly specific prediction. It happened. And now with me is my new Michigan State crew neck. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we're going to be putting that all over Twitter and Instagram. Um, I think that's just a, a funny, great first and 10 moment. But anyway, uh, happy holidays to all of our listeners. And hopefully we'll have a great new year. Right. We're not sponsored by Homefield Apparel, but uh, we certainly would not be opposed to a sponsorship if you're listening to this, Connor. So uh, check them out, though. Wonderful gear. And Reed's got the sad dog and uh, that Michigan State sweatshirt that he won from that bet. And I got him. But I've got the Utah shirt today in honor of Ty Jordan. Rest in peace. So uh, for our YouTube viewers, and if you're not watching on YouTube or listening to podcasts, you can check out our YouTube channel first and one G search it up on YouTube. Uh, you can watch all our episodes with a little bit of video from me and Reed. So uh, let's get into our games here. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the big 10 championship game that happened last week in Indianapolis, Ohio state takes down Northwestern in a game that was really, really, really weird and kind of uh, confirmed a lot of things we knew about Northwestern, but also changed our perception of Ohio state a lot. And I think they're, far better of a running team than we ever could have guessed. And wow, Trey Sermon is actually really good. Kind of out of nowhere. He had the best single game performance of any Ohio state running back ever. 331 yards, two touchdowns read. What does the Trey Sermon factor mean for Ohio state going to the college football playoff? Well, you know, you're talking about how it seemed kind of out of nowhere and I wouldn't necessarily say it's out of nowhere, but it was certainly a surprise. You know, we looked at uh, Trey Sermon's time in Oklahoma. He was there a few years ago and he was just tearing it up as a young uh, soon tailback. Uh, he comes to Ohio State, looks disappointing early. Uh, and a lot of that is because he wasn't given the ball too much. Master Teague did get a lot of those carries. But when he did get the ball and when he got those opportunities, he did not shine. So it was a surprise. Although I, I will say 
I think he had it in him this whole time. It, it really just took a game where a run game was needed uh, for him to really sort of explode. And what an explosion it was. Like you said, highest single game uh, rushing yard total in Ohio State history. And Ohio State is a school known uh, for its great running backs. Archie Griffin, um, Eddie George, Ezekiel Elliott, J.K. Dobbins, uh, just some of the few names that come to mind. But uh, yeah, Sermon, I, I, I believe this has got to be the last uh, – this game, then the upcoming playoff has to be the last uh, we're going to see of him in a Buckeye uniform. So a short uh, tenure at Ohio State, so you can't really say that he's going to go down as one of the great running backs in history. But this performance is surely something that a lot of fans are going to remember for a long time. Well, with Sermon, he could come back, in all honesty. He could play another year because of the COVID rule. Uh, seniors are allowed to play another year. Everybody gets that extra year of eligibility. This year is essentially a wash in terms of eligibility. So could see more Trey Sermon if he doesn't go straight to the NFL, but 29 carries for 331 yards. is just absolutely insane. And especially when you, when you take that stat and you pair it with the objectively terrible performance we saw from Justin Fields, 12 of 27, 114 yards and two picks. This is the worst game of his life. And it really is troublesome going into the Clemson game, because this is a guy who as great as he's been as an Ohio state Buckeye, these, this season in 2020, when they have played a good team, uh, and there are two matchups against good teams, elite defenses, I would say, in Indiana and Northwestern, both teams uh, who rely on their defensive backs and who those that's kind of the heart and soul of both of these defenses. He has truly struggled against them, and that is very worrisome going into this matchup against Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, and, and just to finish that point on Trey Sermon, you know, I feel like um, he would use that extra year of eligibility had he not had a game this big, but his draft stock just went way up after this Big Ten championship performance. Uh, and as they say in a lot of these, uh, a lot of these type of games, he just made himself a lot of money in that game. Um, and you know, the scouts were watching that one. It's on the biggest stage in the big 10. So I have a feeling that this game, uh, the Clemson game and hopefully a championship game, uh, although you definitely can't bank on that happening will be his last, uh, appearances for Ohio state. And with Justin Fields, um, I think the biggest takeaway is just the lack of depth of quarterbacks in this team, or really the lack of experience, in those quarterbacks, because I think that Ohio state has a good future at the quarterback position. But I mean, with the fact that Justin Fields, um, he, he had a thumb injury in that game. Uh, his hand was, was not, uh, you know, he wasn't at full health in that game. And you could tell his passes were uncharacteristically inaccurate for him. Um, but Ohio state, they, they simply said, well, look, a hurt field is better than our next option. Um, and I think it really goes to show this isn't, this isn't what we've seen in the past with, uh, quarterback rooms filled with, uh, you know, JT Barrett, Braxton Miller, Cardell Jones, or the one that, that was uh, Barrett, Burrow, and Haskins. We don't have that kind of depth now. Um, and it's really a, a team who's super reliant on the number one guy, um, which is kind of worrisome. You got to believe. Um, and I think going into this Clemson game, on one hand, the fact that he's played two great defenses this year and he's looked pretty bad against both of them uh, is worrisome. But when you factor in the fact that he was injured, Hopefully he'll be back to full health for this Clemson game uh, and maybe they'll take him a little more lightly. Um, we'll see, you know, hoping for the best for him and hopefully he will be at, at full health. But I mean, his draft stock probably dropped a lot after that game. I mean, they, they were talking, you know, all the analysts were talking about how it's obviously going to be uh, Lawrence number one fields. Number two, we might not see that now he could fall uh, to the number 10 slot or maybe, maybe even further. Um, and I mean, cause he had a great first year at Ohio state when the most recent product you're putting in the field is that who knows, I mean, he, he, the NFL GMs, they might not like what they see from him. 
Yeah. Uh, and you know, part of the beauty of bowl season is that you get a lot of time off in between a lot of time to rest, a lot of time to recover, and you're not playing week to week. Uh, Ohio state didn't have a game the week after this Northwestern game. They, they got some time off and that's going to be huge for fields. If his thumb is back at full strength, Ohio state is a completely different team, particularly with that trace Sermon factor that we've now seen. So uh, with that though, and speaking of time to recover, Ohio state had a bevy of players missing due to COVID, including Jackson Smith and Jigba, and of course, Chris Olave. Uh, the Big Ten actually changed their restrictions on COVID to where a positive test keeps you out for just 17 days instead of 21, which just so happened to perfectly align with when Ohio State was playing the Sugar Bowl. Reed, do you think this is another instance of the league bending the rules just to help Ohio State? On one hand, yes. Um, but on the other hand, everybody for the entire year has complained about this rule and how it doesn't make sense. Um, so at first everyone's mad about the rule and now they're getting mad that it changes. Um, I think the big 10 championship rule changing to put Ohio state in the championship game is a bad rule change, but this one makes more sense. And I think it's much more justifiable. Um, especially with the fact that, I mean, some of these teams there, I mean, I was playing on Wednesday. Some of these teams are playing earlier in bowl season a few days before. So it's going to benefit their players who have had positives as well. Um, so I think this isn't a total, uh, plot to benefit Ohio state, although it definitely does help them with Chris Olave. And I noticed this during the game is that Chris Olave, one of the things I've hit on for years, ever since the first and 10 started as a show is Chris Olave is just one of the most consistent, reliable players in college football. And I mean, he's no Devonte Smith. He's not the best receiver in college football, but he is one of the most consistent players. Um, he's so easy to rely on. He very rarely makes mistakes. And when you're lacking a player with that kind of consistency, I mean, Garrett Wilson is a tremendous receiver, but he was off in that game. And part of that is because fields uh, wasn't hitting him perfectly. But if you want to be one of the considered one of the best receivers in the Big Ten, one of the best in the nation, you got to be able to make up for that. He wasn't. And I think when you have a player like Alave who's going to sort of set the tone, set the expectation for this team, that does wonders for you. And they didn't have that in this Northwestern game. I think if Alave is there, not only does it just help them from an on-the-field perspective uh, or from a more tangible perspective, um, I, I think it helps the intangible side of the game as well. Like I said, just setting that tone. So I think this game would not have finished 22-10 to 10 had Chris Olave been there. And I think it's going to make a huge impact him being there in the Fiesta Bowl or not the Fiesta Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl last season. My bad. No, you talk about that uh, 21 day rule going down to 17. Uh, You know, most conferences and the CDC recommendation is 14 days, 14 day quarantine period. You know, I think the thing though is uh, the big 10, their whole thing is that they have heart screening. That's the extra week. That's what that's for to, to run tests on these players because part of the reason season was canned in the first place was because of some research done at Penn State about the effects of COVID on the heart and particularly for an athlete, especially in a sport like football where you're moving so much and it's so physical. That's a big deal. And and let's, let's look at another collegiate sport though, college basketball where Keontae Johnson at Florida, he had myocarditis or however you pronounce it. I, uh, I might've botched that. He had, he had a true heart issue due to COVID or likely due to COVID and he collapsed on the floor, went into a coma and almost died. Luckily he's okay. But you know, that extra four days, if that's going to hurt the heart screening part of that, then I think that is a terrible move. And that was part of the extra safety the big 10 had. And that was part of the agreements coming back. So if the heart screening is not going to be as uh, you know, in depth as it was, uh, beforehand, then they're just doing a disservice to their players. And uh, I don't know if I can fully get behind this, but if I, I don't know the answer to this, but if they are still going to be running all these tests on, on the players to make sure everything is okay. And we're not going to have one of these issues. Like we did see with, with journey Brown, who 
his issue wasn't related to COVID, but we did see him get that screening and he never is going to play again. And that's probably a good thing that he's never going to play again, because if he did, he could have, you know, died from playing football and that's terrible. So we do need to keep this heart screening in effect and hopefully uh, they do keep it even with four days less. So while, yeah, do for quarantining sake, yes, the 14 days is the case. When you're a football player, uh, the heart screening really, really, really is that important because this disease can have serious effects on your cardiovascular system. Yeah, we're talking about COVID and regulations and guidelines. Um, I still, I, I hit on this point a few weeks ago, but I still want to express my um, discontent with the way Ohio State has, ma- has managed uh, COVID-19. Um, obviously, they had the outbreak um, and then they ended up playing. Um, but just the lack of really caring um, out of Columbus, it's just embarrassing um, with the fact that this team, not only should they take masks uh, and, and these kind of things seriously to begin with, especially when you're a team um, who is going into the playoff, trying to win themselves a championship, you would think they would be as cautious as possible and even overcautious. But these players, I mean, I, I've seen more pictures um, from practices and they seem to have gators on, um, which I mean, at least shows me they're trying, but it's been proven um, by university research that the neck gators were the, you know, the ones that are down here at your neck and they're, they're made from these really thin fibers. They don't work. And some studies have even argued the case that they're worse than not wearing one at all. So that kind of thing, I mean, it shows they're trying, but you, you would think that these players, unless they're on the field and actually running routes, blocking, you know, actually working out or practicing, you think any time where they're not on the field, they would have masks on, the coaches would have them on at all times, but you still see Ryan Day and all the assistant coaches either not wearing them, uh, having their nose fall out, um, or intentionally taking them off to talk to players, talk to refs, um, and to set up these drills, and it just doesn't make sense. It's 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 dangerous. Um, it's not logical, um, and especially for a team who you're, they're still having COVID issues. They're going into the playoff, and arguably, uh, you know, one of their best players on the offense is out, and uh, you know, Baron Browning on defense, another veteran player. Uh, who brings a lot of consistency to this team, he's out with COVID too. And you'd think that they want to have as many of these top players in the team as possible um, on the field and ready for uh, ready to play. And they they aren't taking every step necessary to make sure that, that happens. And it, it's just puzzling. It, it makes no sense at all uh, to me. And it sucks to have to watch this team and see them not take this virus as seriously as they should. Yeah, uh, and a couple of things with that, you know, I think there were there were a few guys on this Ohio State team who are taking it seriously. I mean, you remember early in the season, I remember before the season, even Justin Fields, there was some story like all he does is go to the grocery store and walk his dog or something. And I, I mean, I can't say everybody isn't trying, but from what we've seen, a lot of practices and a lot of locker room videos, not just from Ohio State, but from a lot of teams, including Indiana, uh, these coaches and players just aren't taking it seriously. And they, they think that they're not going to get it. Well, lo and behold, they end up getting it. So uh, you just have to take this more seriously or else it's going to have negative effects on everybody's health and on your season. Uh, You can't just think it's fake and it's not going to get you because you're absolutely dead wrong. And, uh, and the other thing is you talked about the neck gaiters. I think the, the research on that is kind of conflicting because one of the ones that was like, it's worse than wearing nothing at all. I think they only looked at fleece ones and fleece increases the size of the particles or something, but uh, I think it is absolutely 
kind of agreed upon that they are not as effective as wearing a legitimate mask. And actually at my school at Indiana university, they're banned. You can't wear one and count that as a mask because they don't do the trick. So the fact that the big 10 has so many institutions like, like IU that don't even allow you to wear it uh, on campus, but yet the players or the coaches can wear it on the sideline. It shows that the big 10 doesn't care about this virus as much as I think they should. And, you know, they canceled the whole season at first because of the virus. And then eventually they brought it back and I'm okay that the season's back because I I'd like to watch football, but you would think that this conference is going to take COVID a little more seriously. And they just haven't, they haven't at all. And that is a really, really, really disappointing development. Yeah. The conference, they continue to go back on their word. They did it with these, uh, with the big 10 championship rule with the championship week games, uh, where they said they were going to go, uh, two versus two or three versus three, et cetera. And just in general with COVID-19, they, they continue to just, they say things and then they don't follow up and actually, uh, their actions do not match the words. And it's, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what to say. And it's not a big 10 specific issue. This is every conference of college football. College football has been a mess this season. It's been in a, but the thing with that though is that mess <laughs> is that conferences like the Sunbelt and the sec who are letting 30,000 people or the Sunbelt's not like 30, like the sec who has AM letting about 40,000 people into their stadiums. They're not at least, they, they kind of are upfront with the fact that they don't care. The big 10 is at least trying to, to set the expectation or make it look like they care and mm-hmm. they're still not doing enough. Right. Whereas the STC, they're much more upfront about it. They say, you know, and it's that's not right. But I mean, it, it's it's worse in the Big Ten, where where they they acknowledge that it's a big deal, and that it should be taken seriously, and then they don't take it seriously. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this sport, I think college football has done the worst job of containing COVID and has had the worst oh, regulations. I mean, they let in any of any sport in, in the whole wide crowds. world. Yeah. Look at, I mean, you look at some of these crowds at Texas A&M. That's the first one that comes to mind. I remember that Florida game. Everybody is packed together, shoulder to shoulder, 50% mask on their chin or no mask at all. Like it it really does show you how uh, ineffective these conferences have been at enforcing COVID-19 protocol. And really the big 10 has been better than a lot of these other conferences like the SEC not allowing fans, I think was a pretty tough decision, but the right one. I wrote a whole column about how it was the right decision, but uh, it, it just has been a mess all across the sport. And you're going to see a lot of this with with bowl season, a lot of these Big Ten versus SEC matchups. I think you're going to see a stark contrast between you look in a stadium that's allowing fans like the Gator Bowl, or, or excuse me, the, the Outback Bowl or the Music City Bowl. I, I can almost assure you the Big Ten fans are going to be more masked up and uh, take things more seriously. They might have a smaller crowd there also because of COVID, but uh, the SEC fans who've been going to games all season aren't going to take it seriously or as seriously at the very least. Like you look at that Ole Miss-Indiana game, I promise you that the Ole Miss crowd is not going to be as COVID cognizant as the Indiana crowd. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's still going to be a solid amount of, of fans from the Big Ten who don't follow the rules. Oh, certainly, but. certainly. But uh, the examples set by these conferences, I think, bleed down to their fans and Indiana, even as a team has been pretty bad about COVID too. Uh, Tom Allen doesn't wear a mask in the locker room. He just doesn't, he wears a mesh mask on the sideline. He's been terrible about that in all honesty, wonderful coach. And I have a lot of respect for him as a person, but he's been bad about COVID. So uh, it's all about the example set at the top. So the big 10 is acting like it cares about COVID. They're not doing enough. I think they're actually, you know, 
doing worse than they said they'd do. Uh, but at least they kind of show that they care a little bit at the very least, whereas and the SEC with, doesn't. With your point about the mesh masks, um, they, while you can see through them, I've done some research into it. Those do work, and that's why they're so really? widespread throughout the United States, throughout athletics. Um, uh, hmm. They they look odd. I guess you can actually see the the person's <laughs> mouth, but they do work. Uh, it was developed by uh, scientists at Auburn University, and it was also partly developed in South Korea, um, and it's legit. I but, never would have guessed that. Well, thanks and, for uh, letting me know, Reed. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know when we're talking about how, how college football has been the worst sport in the world about this, you're absolutely right. I mean, you look over, you look across the pond at Europe, seeing what they're doing in soccer. Um, throughout the summer, where where their numbers have been way better than ours, they hadn't let fans in until August uh, in most countries. England just started letting fans in in mid to late October. They currently most stadiums don't allow fans anymore because their cities. Um, have high numbers uh, and they're in, I forget what their terminology is, but they're in essentially there's, I, I want to say four phases and cities that are in phase three or four or so uh, they just don't allow fans in the stadium. Meanwhile, you have people uh, down at, like you said, Texas A&M. Um, and I mean, Dan Mullen at Florida was encouraging a 90,000 person crowd uh, at the swamp. I mean, you have these, and obviously that didn't happen, um, but you still look at some of these crowds and while they do limit the attendance and they tell you to sit in certain spots, a lot of times, especially in college stadiums where they don't have the seats marked off, uh, you know, you look at the NFL, they zip tie their seats uh, a lot. Well, they don't do that in college. And a lot of it's because they have bleachers at college stadiums. Uh, so it's hard to enforce uh, people to not crowd in. That's what they do. They all sit next to each other. And if you watch the Army Navy game, I hate to throw shade at uh, our military and service academies, but this was a full crowd. I mean, they had... I want to say the entire student body of each university um, in this stadium all packed together and a decent amount of the people had masks on, but a lot of them are enough to make it unsafe. Either had them on their chin, had their noses out, just took them off. And it's ridiculous. College football has just been irresponsible um, when it comes to COVID-19 and it's a shame. And worst of all, I think was Notre Dame with the field storming against Clemson. That oh, was absolutely. just, that was, insane no words <laughs> it really don't even have words for how terrible of a decision that was by pretty much the entire student body at the university of notre dame and how obviously and stupidly unsafe that was and even brian kelly knew it was coming he said he was rushing the team to the locker room because he knew it was going to happen if they won and lo and behold they won and they rushed the field so uh that that basically in summation college football and covid have uh not exactly gone well together it has been a mess and uh the ramifications are still being felt by the entire sport even through bowl season speaking of bowl season uh let's talk about some actual football games so uh we're gonna have four games we talk about today of the five bowl games the big Ten's participating in we won't be talking about ohio state against clemson we'll talk about that in a separate special ohio state episode we got four games to talk about anyway, including two Wednesday afternoon games, Reed. Two Wednesday afternoon games. December 30th at noon, Wake Forest against Wisconsin in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Uh, Wisconsin coming off of last week, the championship week win over Minnesota Golden Gophers, getting the axe, uh, taking on a 500 team just like themselves. They're taking on the Wake Forest team and Deacons. Wisconsin's a seven-point favorite. Uh, Reed, is this going to be the greatest Wednesday in the history of the Big Ten? Could possibly be. 
Um, definitely <laughs> in Big Ten football because, you know, it's like Tuesday night action, uh, but with Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon, afternoon Big yeah. Ten action. There needs to be some sort of pun for that. I don't know. Um, but first of all, I want to say with the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, why is there a Big Ten tie into this game? This is, if you're not familiar with what the Dukes-Mayo Bowl is, um, the name just changed. It's the Belk Bowl. And that's what it's been called for the past about decade or potentially even more than that. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's a game out in Charlotte. Total ACC and SEC territory. Why do we have Big Ten teams going there? Um, and I, I hate ball tie-ins in general. I think they're, they're stupid. Um, and they hurt the sport. And they hurt the sport's postseason. Um, but if you're going to have tie-ins, at least make them make sense. Why do we have Big Ten teams going to Charlotte? And this year, there's not going to be many fans there. But in general, um, you want to, in a, in a year where COVID doesn't exist, um, or in a year where we have the vaccine, you want to have as many people going to these games as possible. Why are they putting a Big Ten team in the Belk Bowl? That's absolute ACC territory, and it's pretty close to SEC country. Um, that, that should have stayed an ACC-SEC game permanently. But regardless, this game, uh, two teams with 500 records, um, Wake Forest and Wisconsin. I think I've said this before. Wisconsin is the best 3-3 three and three team um, in football history, I would say, or – I guess probably the best team who finished three and three because we haven't had six game seasons in a long time. But uh, Wisconsin is the best three and three team in the country, um, and a full strength Wisconsin team is about four possessions better than Wake Forest. Unfortunately, they're not at full strength, so we might see a more interesting game. But I think Wisconsin still comes away with a win here. I just, I just can't see this mediocre uh, down uh, Wisconsin. Who I mean, I think this game. Um, and I predicted this with the pinstripe bowl last year, which had Michigan state and wake forest. I predicted that game was going to be about six to three, which I was wrong in both teams scored more than I thought they would. Michigan state got on the board a fair amount and ended up winning the game. Um, I think this game, the scoreboard isn't good. It's not going to be a crazy score, like six to three. Um, but I think this is going to be a defensive matchup. Neither team really has that spark on offense. Wisconsin without, uh, Mertz. I think they're missing some, uh, on the offensive side of the football, but, I mean, their defense, we've seen it before. They, they held uh, Indiana to 14 points, and granted, Indiana had Jack Tuttle quarterback, but that's still a feat. Um, and they've looked good on defense throughout the season. I think Wake Forest just doesn't have nearly what it takes to win this one. I'm going to give Wisconsin a win by the score of, let's say, 24-13. I like a similar score here, Reed. And again, the Big Ten and the Dukes-Mayo Bowl is one of the weirdest tie-ins in all of college football. I mean, this location just makes no sense because – uh, not trying to shade Charlotte too much here, but it's not really a huge travel destination uh, like a lot of these other bowl games in places like Florida or California that people want to go to because they're warm and uh, there's a lot of things to do there, like going to the beach. Uh, Charlotte is a, is a wonderful city, I'm sure, but it's not really the destination. And plus, when there's a bowl game in a place that's not necessarily a destination, like say the uh, the Little Caesars Bowl or whatever they call it now in Detroit, it usually is a game that will draw from teams who are close by that way. Uh, the attendance is decent and it makes sense to go because if you're not drawn there by the destination, then you're drawn there by the proximity. And there's absolutely no proximity between Charlotte, North Carolina, and anyone in the big 10, except for Maryland. So uh, I think this tie-in makes no sense. However, I think this matchup makes no sense even more so because Wisconsin might have the same winning percentage as Wake Forest, but they're a completely different team. We've never seen anything from this Wake Forest team in the last two years. And I've, I guess, had to kind of care about them for two years straight now since they played Michigan State last season. Uh, 
nothing I've seen from the last two years really speaks to me or sticks out to me. They're an okay football team and they're good enough to get to a bowl game, which is better than Wake Forest has been in the past. And, and that's good. But Wisconsin at their best has been absolutely explosive and has had an elite defense, I think, throughout the season. Uh, they have never really been in a game where it's a, a true shootout, but uh, th- this is a team who I think is just flat out more talented than Wake Forest. And hopefully we can see a big Graham Mertz game because uh, truth be told, Graham Mertz at the end of the season versus Graham Mertz in his first two games, uh, those have been two completely different players. So hopefully this is a big Graham Mertz game. And I think this will say a lot about his future as the Wisconsin quarterback, uh, given how he performs here on Wednesday afternoon in Charlotte. But I do like the Badgers here too. And I like the Badgers to cover. I like the Badgers 21 to 10. And I know their offense hasn't really been all that since uh, the Michigan game, but I kind of like them to get a little bit more footing here. They're not going to score, you know, two scores and call it a day like they have in, in say, the Iowa game or the Indiana game. I think they do get rolling a little bit here. I like a big Jalen Berger outing. Graham Mertz, I'm a little more murky on. I don't know what to expect from him. You, you, you just never really know with him this season, but I like a big Jalen Berger game. He's been the breakout star. And, you know, with Wisconsin going forward, you know, we thought early in the season, I'm still very high on Graham Mertz potential. Don't get me wrong. But we thought early in the season that Wisconsin was going to transform this whole offense around Graham Mertz. And we've seen in some of these losses for Wisconsin that Graham Mertz has really, really, really struggled. So given that, plus the emergence of Jalen Berger as that traditional Wisconsin running back, I kind of think that they're going to move away from the Graham Mertz offense and we're not going to see them try and utilize as many of his strengths, like the deep ball uh, as much as they really should be. And we might never get to see Graham Mertz realize his full potential at Wisconsin. I'm worried that they are going to just transition back into the power run dump off pass offense that we saw with guys like Jonathan Taylor and Jack Cohn uh, in 2019. So while I am still high on Graham Mertz's potential, I don't know if this Wisconsin coaching staff is the right team to take advantage of it. Yeah, and, you know, I apologize. I didn't see the report that came out uh, only a few minutes ago that Graham Mertz was playing this game. So I'm actually going to change my pick to 31-13. I think with Mertz at the helm of this offense, he's going to have a similar game uh, to how he uh, – the game's going to be similar to the Illinois game. Um, I see him really exploding, and I think this is the game where he really finds his form once again. Um, and I could see this Wisconsin team next season transitioning to more run offense with these guys like Jonathan Taylor and Berger could be the next Jonathan Taylor model player. He could be that real Wisconsin running back that we've been used to seeing the past few years. Um, but I think Graham Mertz as of now uh, is the guy for Wisconsin. I was going to lead this offense. And I think with him being the starter in this game, needing to find uh, some sort of momentum and needing to find his way uh, improve his spot once again. I mean, after those first two weeks, we thought, oh, he's the guy for sure. Um, now he really needs to prove his worth to this team. Um, and I think he will. And I think it's going to be a 31-13 Wisconsin win over Wake Forest. I think he's the guy and I think he's going to be the starter as long as he's at, as he's at Wisconsin. But I don't think they're going to utilize him correctly in the offense. I think they're going to transition back to this power run offense next season with Jalen Berger. I'm just not as optimistic in this coaching staff. And that's just me, but... Uh, hopefully they prove me wrong and we get to see Graham Mertz hopefully uh, take advantage of so many of those tools that he's got that make him so exciting as a prospect. But uh, we're going to have to wait and see with that. And for now, we're going to have the Badgers on Wednesday afternoon 
in Charlotte in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. One of the best bowl game names out there. What a great sponsor for a football game. But uh, moving on to our next game here, Reed Murray, our other Wednesday afternoon game in the home of Reed Murray, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the Transperfect Music City Bowl. The Iowa Hawkeyes, number 15 in the country, taking on the Missouri Tigers. Iowa's a 14-and-a-half point favorite, and I think they win by more than this. Missouri is just not that good, Reed. I think Iowa is going to crush them because they shouldn't be in the Music City Bowl. They should be in a better game. But their own athletic director kind of sort of screwed them out of being in a good game. Uh, Gary Barta, of course, the head of the playoff committee, who uh, is involved with the New Year's Six selection process, decided to put Iowa State in the New Year's Six and in the Fiesta Bowl over Indiana, which meant that the Big Ten tie-ins all got shifted around. So instead of the Big Ten having Ohio State in the playoff and Indiana in the Fiesta Bowl, that meant Iowa State was in the Fiesta Bowl, Iowa's biggest rival. Indiana was going to the Citrus Bowl until they weren't and ended up in the Outback Bowl, which meant Northwestern was in the Citrus Bowl. And Iowa, instead of getting to be in the Outback Bowl, or I guess maybe the Citrus Bowl, ended up in the Music City Bowl against these Missouri Tigers. This isn't going to be much of a game now, is it, Reed? Um, let's be careful here talking about the Missouri Tigers. I mean, this team did blow out the mighty Vanderbilt Commodores and upset them. <laughs> so let's be careful with our words here. Let's not give too much Missouri slander. They have superpowers. turn Vanderbilt slander. <laughs> they have superpowers when they're in the city of Nashville. Let's not forget. Well, that game was in Columbia, but All still, right. yeah. Uh, never mind. But anything related to Nashville, um, maybe that's maybe that's the signal. Maybe I'm misinterpreting it here. Yeah, but uh, you're right. I think it's actually a shame that Missouri doesn't get a, be- a better opponent for them. Um, and what I mean by that is not that Iowa isn't a worthy opponent. Iowa is much better. And I wanted to see Missouri play a team who's more at their skill level um, because I think Missouri is a team who has a lot of potential. I mean, I, a lot of people thought saw them winning maybe one game this year. Here they are uh, at a, with a 500 record. I mean, this is a solid Missouri team. It's not a team who's better than Iowa. Um, I don't even think this team's better than Wisconsin. Um, so it is a shame. And I think Wisconsin-Missouri would have been a much better matchup, which I think Wisconsin still would have won. But regardless, I wanted to see Missouri play uh, a team who's more well-matched for them. Uh, and it really sucks for them that they're not going, going to get that. And I think the run game for Iowa is just going to absolutely take over. Um, we, we've said it all season. Um, Goodson and Sargent, just, just too good of a duo. And I don't see a defense um, who couldn't stop Georgia um, stopping these running backs. And that's not to hate on Georgia, but I don't necessarily think this Georgia team is miles ahead of Iowa. And so the fact that Georgia can go on the road and just slap Missouri around the way they did, um, I don't really have a lot of confidence in the Tigers. I got to give Iowa a big 38-10 to 10 win. Um, I'm not sure about – uh, the health of Amir Smith-Marset. Um, he said he's going to the NFL. I, I do not remember if he said uh, he was going to play in the bowl game or not. And he did get injured against Wisconsin. So we don't know if he's even healthy or able to, um, but it doesn't really matter. Um, a Spencer Peters passing game, it, it, that's not going to lead your team no matter who you, it doesn't matter if you have David Bell, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson. Um, it's the running game that's going to win them here. Uh, that's going to win it for them here. Uh, and I, I think this running game is really going to show up. They're going to show up big, and it's going to be a 38-10 win. Yeah, Reed, you said it basically word for word what I was going to say. I literally had a 38-10 win. That That's what I was going to say. So 38-10 uh, is my prediction too. Uh, 
not really much more to add. I was just a far better team than Missouri. Not really an if, and, or, but about that. And uh, Iowa should have been in a better bowl game. And honestly, Missouri should have too, because Missouri, I don't think should be in a worse bowl game than Ole Miss. Uh, Missouri did have a better season than Ole Miss in my mind. Uh, whereas I think Ole Miss has a better talented team and that's even debatable with no Elijah Moore for Ole Miss. And we'll get into that later when we talk about the Outback Bowl. Uh, I think Missouri should have been in that game over Ole Miss and that's, that's just me, but uh, they got passed up and really Iowa should be in a better game too. I think uh, every single fan base kind of in, in this Outback Bowl uh, and uh, Music City Bowl realm is, is just all kind of confused and really Citrus Bowl too, I guess, outside of Auburn. And they're kind of a good fit for the Citrus Bowl. But I think everybody else is just a little confused about their bowl positioning. So uh, anyway, I think that Missouri is just not as good as Iowa and it shouldn't be too close of a game. Anyway, next game, Friday, January 1st, 2021, Reed. We're going into 2021, 1 o'clock on ABC, the Verbo Citrus Bowl, Auburn and Northwestern. Cats are three and a half point favorites over the coachless Auburn Tigers. I was going to call them the Missouri Tigers, strong SEC Tigers. Uh, I guess they kind of have a coach now because they hired the guy from Boise State, but I don't know if he's going to be there for the bowl game or not. And even with that, they'd have to kind of learn a whole new system. So uh, you don't really have to worry about that. But Gus Malzahn is not the coach of the Auburn Tigers. So that is the big thing there. Northwestern, I think, deserves the Citrus Bowl. I think that this is a good fit for the season they had, but they don't deserve it over Indiana. And the fact that they got picked for the Citrus Bowl over Indiana, despite losing by more points to Ohio State and losing to a Michigan State team that Indiana shut out 24 to nothing, it makes no sense that you would put Northwestern over Indiana. An Indiana team that finished ranked above Northwestern in the college football playoff rankings and have kind of all season long been seen as the better team. So the fact that they put Northwestern in the Citrus Bowl over Indiana is just incredibly disrespectful because Indiana is a much better team than Northwestern. Yeah, and I'm not accusing you of saying this. I just mean this in general for all Hoosiers fans. Um, don't look at Northwestern as the bad guy here. Northwestern absolutely deserves the Citrus Bowl, not necessarily more than Indiana. Um, but the bad guy is the playoff committee. Um, you could say the bad guy well, is the Big Ten for not letting Indiana into the Big Ten championship. You can say it's uh, the playoff committee. Can I one. tell you this? It's not just the playoff committee for not letting Indiana into the New Year's Six like they should have been, uh, but it's the Citrus Bowl themselves for extending the invitation to Northwestern instead of Indiana. And I think that goes hand in hand with the Big Ten, who has continuously disrespected Indiana all season long. And uh, I'm going to get into this when we talk about IU, but feels like there are a lot of people in the powers that be in the Big Ten, a lot of athletic directors around the conference and coaches who don't want Indiana to be good. I'll get into that later, though. Yeah, and uh, just know, Northwestern, their coaches, ADs, players, whatever, they're not the guys to be shaking your fist at. It is uh, the ones in charge um, of bowl season, of the playoff committee, of the Citrus Bowl, uh, of all of this, um, and it's not Northwestern fault. Northwestern absolutely deserves a Citrus Bowl bid if not a New Year's Six bid, to be completely honest with you. Um, in my ideal college football world, Indiana's playing in the New Year's Six in the Fiesta Bowl um, against maybe Iowa State or so, and Coastal is also in the New Year's Six, and then Northwestern gets the Citrus Bowl bid. Uh, it's just unfortunate that we are operating under such a corrupt system uh, when it comes to the New Year's Six, but Northwestern is not the one to be mad at. Now, 
this game, though, I think this is another poor matchup. This is a, we got a lot of poor matchups this bowl season. Uh, there's probably about six or so games where I look at and I say that's a great matchup, and I'm really excited to see that. As opposed to most bowl seasons, I say that for just about every game. Um, really disappointing bowl season this year. Um, and, of course, it's hard to have a great postseason when the year uh, so many teams have played different amount of games and whatnot. But um, I think this Auburn-Northwestern matchup isn't really fair to Northwestern. Um, and, I mean, part of that is just because the, the way tie-ins work, they have to play an SEC team. Um, Auburn is the next best SEC team to play. But Auburn just isn't that good. They got really lucky with a, a solid portion of their wins. Um, and I really don't think they deserve the record that they have. Um, and, you know, Bo Nix, they call them Bo Picks. And I think that we're going to see a lot of Bo Picks jokes in this game um, with the fact that, first of all, the Northwestern secondary is so incredible. And what they did to Justin Fields, a hurt Justin Fields at that, still Justin Fields um, speaks volumes for their secondary. We've seen it all year. Um, this is one of the best secondaries in the country. Um, I would argue it's a top five secondary, if not better. Going, going up against a quarterback who's pretty inconsistent. Uh, he's still young in his career. But uh, he's not perfect. And I think that he really gets exposed in this game. Uh, I think the scoreline is going to be a lot closer than, than the game really is. Um, I think the final score is going to be 24 to 14, mainly just because I think North, the West, Northwestern has a good offense. They have a good quarterback. Um, I, I just I can't see them really exploding on the scoreboard uh, and really putting this game out of hand. I think they get a solid win, um, but not really a blowout or anything of that nature. Um, and Auburn, they might get some garbage time points, or maybe they just keep it close on the scoreboard, but not really with their play. Um, I think Northwestern is the better team throughout this game, and they prove it, but the scoreboard doesn't necessarily show it. 24-14 Wildcats is my prediction. Reed, I had the exact same prediction as you. <laughs> that was my score as well. So uh, I hate to be like this for the second straight game, but I've got 24-14 as well. I think Northwestern is just a better, better, better team than Auburn. Uh Auburn has struggled this season. I don't think they're that good. They fired their coach. Northwestern shouldn't be playing a team that fired their coach. Neither should Indiana. And I think Indiana should be in the Citrus Bowl. Indiana shouldn't have to play this Auburn team either. This is like a ghost of Auburn almost. This just doesn't feel like a a full team. And I don't think. And it wasn't even a good Auburn team to begin with. It's a no. The shell or the skeleton or the ghost of a team who wasn't even that good to start. No, this is. I don't think they're going to be motivated going to this game. Uh, I think they're more talented than Northwestern, but Northwestern is a flat out better football team. And that's going to show 24 to 14 is my prediction for the Citrus Bowl. Last game we're going to talk about uh, today before we get into the Sugar Bowl in a future episode, the Outback Bowl in Tampa, Saturday, January 2nd, 2021 at 1230 on ABC, Ole Miss, Indiana, the four and five Ole Miss Rebels. Indiana gets rewarded for the best season in program history with a game against an SEC team with a losing record. They get passed over for the New Year's Six, passed over for the Citrus Bowl. So they're going to Tampa. Half the team's from Tampa, basically. So I guess it's a cool homecoming of sorts there. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., uh, he's from Tampa, among other players. A whole lot of guys from that area. But Micah McFadden, too, Thomas Allen, so many of these guys. Uh, this is one of the worst cases of disrespect I've seen in all of college football ever. Uh, the fact of the matter is that this team – is better than a lot of teams ranked ahead of them. And a lot of teams in the year six, I think they're better than let's first, let's talk about tie-ins. Tie-ins are terrible uh, when it's the big 10 who has to not has to lose their tie-in because the Rose bowl is a playoff game. So 
they don't get that free tie-in that the ACC gets this year and a worse North Carolina team gets to go to the Orange Bowl. A bad Oregon team is going to the Fiesta Bowl. But beyond that, the committee made some baffling decisions by putting a two-loss Georgia team, a three-loss Florida team, and a three-loss Iowa State team who lost by 17 at home to a Sunbelt team, a Sunbelt team that lost to undefeated Coastal Carolina ahead of Indiana and Coastal Carolina, two teams who I think absolutely deserve New Year's Six bids and didn't get them. So uh, the fact of the matter is that the playoff committee needs to be abolished as soon as possible, and bowl season as a whole needs to be restructured because, quite frankly, it is – just unfair it's unfair to the the lesser brands of college football if you will and i guess iowa state falls in that category but uh i have no clue how that got shaken out if iowa state was called uh michigan then they wouldn't have had uh then uh it wouldn't have been a question but i don't know how iowa state with the name iowa state got into the spot they are uh certainly can't be because of their resume because their resume kind of sucks uh, but with Indiana, if Indiana had the name Penn State or the name Michigan, they would be in a New Year's Six game. It wouldn't even be a question. In fact, they might be a fringe playoff team. So the fact of the matter is, in the Big Ten, there are people who don't want Indiana to be good at football. And Gary Bard is among them. So uh, there was a statement. I'm just going to read it verbatim uh, from former Indiana Athletic Director Fred Glass. Uh, he's no longer affiliated with the university, and he made that very clear uh, in his statement. So... Uh, here's what Fred Glass had to say. I'm not AD anymore, nor officially affiliated with IU. So I can tell you what I think. And it's this, our program, our coach and our kids got done in by the good old boy, big 10 football power structure. They're influential people who don't want Indiana to be good in football. They're used to coming into our state and poaching our best high school players and counting us as a W on their schedules. That's why they don't advocate for us. Is there any real doubt that we're the second best team in the conference? Look at the polls, even the CFP, look at common opponents To those who are trying to kill a resurgent Indiana football program, I say it's not going to work. You're just putting more logs in the fire. I love Tom Allen, and I love these kids. I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, The powers that be in the Big Ten, uh, whether it be the big boys like Michigan and Ohio State or Penn State, or even programs like Iowa, they recruit Indiana hard. They used to count Indiana as a free win on their schedules, and that's not the case anymore because those in-state recruits are going to IU, and IU is not a free win anymore. Michigan learned that the hard way this year. Penn State learned that the hard way this year. Ohio State damn near learned it the hard way. So the tides are turning in college football in the Big Ten and in Bloomington, and whether they like it or not, Indiana's here to stay. They can try and push them down all they want, but Indiana's here to stay, and the Hoosiers are going to come back and crush Ole Miss in this game and they're going to come out next season with a vengeance. And I think that next season, I'm calling it now, Indiana's winning the Big Ten. They're going to win the Big Ten on a revenge tour. I'm calling it now, Reed. I'm sorry. Bold pick, but you know what we say on the show? We're not afraid to be bold. We're not afraid to be uh, and bold. And I, I do love the boldness of that pick. And, and I think Indiana's winning the Big Ten. It's the revenge tour. It's not tour. a crazy pick. If Michael Penix I mean, Jr. is healthy. And it, all it the upon... that they didn't do this year is beat Ohio State. And beat honestly, Ohio State and hope that Michael Penix it's beat Ohio state and hope that Michael Penix jr. Is healthy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to predict that. Um, I'm, I mean, the, the season's so far away next season. Um, I would predict Ohio state to win the conference again. Um, but I mean, you're not wrong. There's huge potential for this team. Um, not a lot of losses going into next year. Um, and you could be completely right. And I would love to go back to this clip next year. Um, well, I wouldn't love it because that would mean you'd have to beat my team, but, uh, I would be happy for you if that happened. And, uh, I can't say I'd be too mad about it. 
But going into this uh, into this Citrus Bowl, or not even Citrus Bowl, Outback Bowl, uh, first I want to say you're talking about restructuring college football. Um, I wrote an article about this very topic. Um, go to your Safari or Google, whatever, type in peabody.press, uh, and then go to the sports section. Click on the article uh, with my name on it. Um, I forget what the exact headline is, but it's about restructuring cultural balls bowl system. See what I have to say. Maybe I'll make a read option about this uh, in the near future. Uh, we will see. But um, I think the system is extremely flawed as it stands, and it needs some serious changes, um, especially with bowl tie-ins. The current bowl tie-in system is just absurd, um, and it needs to be done away with. But going into this uh, Outback Bowl, as much as I think Indiana is a uh, is a much better team than Ole Miss, and they they I would say Indiana is about six touchdowns better than Ole Miss. I don't actually think that they're going to beat them by six touchdowns or so. My final score for this one, and Patrick, please don't get mad at me for this because I know you're going to. I got them winning this one, thirty-one to seventeen, and the reason for that is simply Matt Corral, uh, at quarterback for Ole Miss. And the reason I think Missouri was not put in this game as opposed to Ole Miss is, is even though Missouri is a better team than Ole Miss, Ole Miss has more upset potential. I mean, they got close against Alabama. They damn near beat Alabama. They have upset potential. They have basically what I think is going to happen in this game. Um, or That's not true. Um, I, I was uh, What I think is going to happen in this game is uh, Ole Miss, Matt Corral throws about three picks. Um, mainly the fact, I mean, he's thrown – about six picks in two different games this year. Um, and as good of a quarterback as he is, he does throw a lot of interceptions and he's going against um, another tremendous secondary similar to that of Northwestern, I would say is even better than Northwestern's. Um, I think he throws three picks at least. Um, but on the other hand, this is an Ole Miss offense that's explosive and you can't really deny that. Like I said, they have upset potential. They have the They're a top five offense to, in the nation. Yeah, they have the ability to, as they say in NCAA 14, knock things up in a heartbeat. Um, I hear that uh, call all the time, um, and they really do have that. Um, just a few plays, they hit one deep pass, and all of a sudden we're looking at a different game. So I think Indiana is by far the better team in this game. They look the better team throughout the game, but I think the final score isn't really going to show that because I think Ole Miss, um, like I said, explosive offense, upset potential. Um, they have the ability to keep this game close. I don't think they really have a chance to win this one, and I hope that I'm not jinxed. I'm going to knock on wood right now that – that that does not happen, um, and it would be a real shame for Indians not win this game, especially with the way they deserved a better bowl bid, and they completely deserve to just knock the tar out of Ole Miss. Um, but I think just with the Ole Miss offense uh, on its own, they keep the game close. Uh, third and fourteen. Also with Jack Tuttle at quarterback, uh, I think he's good, but he's he's not Michael Penix. And I think if they had Penix, the final score would be something more along the lines of forty-eight seventeen. Um, but I think this offense is a little bit limited um, and they have to rely on the run game a little bit more uh, than they would necessarily like to, but still a solid win for Indiana. I think you're right next year, they come out with a vengeance um, and they're going to play with some serious fury on their sort of revenge tour. I like IU here, 42 to 21, you know, with Ole Miss, I actually was kind of nervous when I saw this uh, matchup get announced uh, mostly because a loss here would be very embarrassing because you know, you hear all, all the IU fans talking about how, oh, Indiana doesn't deserve this game. Indiana should be in a real game. They should be in a New Year's Six game. And then if they came out and lost to a mediocre SEC team, that's embarrassing. That is truly, truly, truly embarrassing and would, 
I think halt a lot of the great developments that this team has made this season. It would be a terrible anticlimactic ending. So I'm taking Indiana here 42 to 21 though. Ole Miss has a top five offense in the nation. People forget that this is a real offense. However, Elijah Moore is not playing and that is their guy. Elijah Moore is an incredible receiver and uh, not having him is going to hurt this team a lot. And he, he was what I was worried about is Elijah Moore, who uh, before this season, I knew him mostly for pretending to be a dog peeing in the end zone against Mississippi state in uh, the egg bowl last season. Uh, now I think I know him as one of the top receivers in all of college football, not having him is going to hurt for Ole Miss, but with that elite offense for Ole Miss comes one of the worst defenses in all of the FBS. This defense is putrid. They are terrible. And I think it will make Jack Tuttle look like Michael Penix Jr. And Jack Tuttle's a good quarterback. Michael Penix Jr. is an elite one. It'll make Jack Tuttle look really, really good. I like Indiana here, 42 to 21, getting the first bowl win since 1991. Uh, hopefully the Hoosiers get it done because they deserve it. You're right. They absolutely do deserve it. You're talking about their top five offense. I mean, we've seen they Indiana did already take on an offense similar to that of Ole Miss. They played, played Ohio State. And I mean, the scoreboard uh, at the end of the game gave Ohio State 42 points, but Ohio State had a, or Indiana had a solid, solid defensive game. I think it's going to be a similar story here. Indiana looks great throughout the day, um, but this almost offense just managed to get points on the board. Just not going to be enough at the end of the day, I think. And I think they end up with 17 points um, against Indiana. It should be a solid win. And I think, honestly, this is super unfortunate for Indiana because I think the final score it's going to be a deficit that's not too large and it's going to make people think, Oh, well, we were right to not put Indiana in the New Year's six. This was the right decision. Um, you know, Indiana, they've proven they don't deserve it with this uh, near win over Ole Miss, but let's not forget all the top teams in the sec, Alabama and AM specifically, they played Ole Miss pretty damn close too. Like I said, Alabama nearly lost them. It took a fourth quarter effort um, late in the game to win it uh, on the road against Ole Miss. AM had a similar run in with them. And I mean, teams like Arkansas beat Ole Miss. So Ole Miss, Clearly, they're not objectively a great team, but uh, playing in a somewhat close game against them is not necessarily a thing to be ashamed of because the team I'm sure is going to win the national championship, Alabama, um, they didn't look very impressive against the Rebels either. So, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be another instance, I think, of hypocritical thinking uh, to justify the decision to say, oh, well, they, they hardly beat a team who's under 500. So we were right. They don't deserve the Citrus Bowl. They don't deserve New Year's Six where at the end of the day, I think really any Indiana win here um, should be respected. Absolutely, especially for a program that hasn't won a bowl game in uh, almost 30 years. It's been a very long time. So if they could start 2021 off with that elusive first bowl win in forever, that'd be huge for this program. And, you know, whether or not the Outback Bowl is the right bowl for this team, it's not. It's still a big win, and it's still an important step in the right direction for this program going into a 2021 season where a lot of people are going to pick this team to do big things and whether or not they get the respect they deserve is a different issue, but they're going to put their hearts out there on the field, no matter what. And I think that they're going to impress a lot of people with this win uh, that, you know, they, they, in an opportunity in a stage that they've never really gotten a chance to have, they haven't played in a bowl game this good in a very, very, very long time since they played in the peach bowl in the eighties. So uh, this is a huge opportunity for IU and hopefully they can make the best of it. Yeah. And, you know, obviously best of luck to all the big 10 teams. I have the big 10 winning every bowl game um, except for the sugar bowl. I don't want to 
spoil my pick too much, but uh, it's hard for me to pick Ohio State looking at how they played recently. But I think the Big Ten knocks out of the park in bowl season this year. Um, and I think really the only game that the Big Ten can lose, and I again, knock on what I don't want to jinx this, I think the only game where they really can lose the Duke's Mayo Bowl to Wake Forest, Wisconsin, as good as I think they are, they've been inconsistent. But uh, I think the Big Ten really proves that they're a solid conference, and although a lot of their teams don't have great records, um, that there's no reason for them to be disrespected the way they were by the committee and by these bowl games uh, and the bowl game selections. So uh, I think the Big Ten shows out in bowl season this year. Uh, and next year they, they emerge an even stronger conference. Absolutely. And that'll do it for our show today. Thank you for listening. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram at first and one G we're also at first and one G over on Twitter. You can find our YouTube channel, search up first and one G. Uh, this is the first and 10 podcast for Reed Murray and Patrick Feltz. Uh, stay tuned for our episode about Ohio state and Clemson and the sugar bowl coming soon. Have a good one. Bye.